Hey, it's Steve Rodriguez, host of Tags Podcast, aka Talk About Gay Sex. I'm really excited about this episode this week. This is going to be episode 170. It's with a good friend of mine from he, you could listen to his original episode, which was episode 132. His name is Sebastian Lacaz. He's so talented. More importantly, he's so insightful and a really good friend of mine and we really i really wanted to explore with what's going on right now our own race and sexuality and i think so many of you for hanging on to the show in these times because i know we're not always talking about big dick and the hottest ass but you know times are changing but they all ultimately relate to our sexuality and I this was a conversation that I hope is interesting to you and is one of many that I will continue to have placed throughout this show about our identity about our sexuality about who we are as gay men and where we come from as it happens to deal with race ethnicity and all and everything in between. So I hope you um, listen with an open ear and know that we were speaking from our hearts. Um, This is episode 170 and I join me this Thursday and every Thursday for my live podcast, Sex with Stevie on our Facebook page. And it's a call-in show so you can call in and get sex advice, weigh in on hot gay sex topics or just say hi it's every thursday from 10 to 11 p.m eastern time or 7 to 8 pacific time at facebook.com forward slash tags podcast here's my conversation with sebastian lacaz and on this episode episode 170 i am very happy to be reunited with my good friend out in los angeles sebastian lacaz sebastian how you doing Hey, I'm doing okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. We'll get lot, into it. Let me just... Yeah. For people that don't know, Sebastian was a, re, um, a, a recent guest on our show. I will put that up. Uh, it's on Tag's podcast. You can listen to it. He was talking about a short film about HIV and a whole lot more. And I wanted him to come back for many reasons. We'll get all into why I wanted him back. Sebastian Lacaz is an actor, singer, dancer. I like to call him a triple threat in the industry. Um, He's done Broadway, TV, film, and he's an award winner for his very riveting web series, Hustling, and who in pre-pandemic began filming a new short film that we talked about on the last time he was a guest on the show, about a priest who contracts HIV. The real question that many people are asking each other these days is, how are you really doing? (laughs) How am I really doing? Right, right. Because how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. You know, I'm hanging in there. Like, that's like sort of the- The The throwaway. Right, the top, yeah, the topical sort of solution, (laughs) ointment. Um, and then buried further below the surface is the real answer. Um, it's funny, but- too, just before you get into that, and it just made me think, things like back in the day, in earlier times, 
putting your hand out to shake someone's hand is how, or a hug is how we greeted each other, along with, how you doing? Now, not sure that that will make it into this newfound world and nor will hugging or kissing people, but people really are checking in with each other when we say, how are you really doing? Yeah. And I'm not like a huge or a Star Trek fan. I'm not dissing it. I just, I'm just not like a necessarily into sci-fi per se, I guess. I mean, you know what I mean? It's not something I seek out, but um, maybe um, we're falling into the, uh, what is it? Live long and prosper in the Star Trek. And they have, the Ooh, I wasn't a fan. So t- you got to tell us. No, I don't know. I but I know they have. They don't shake hands. They do like live long and prosper, and they do that weird little sign, right? So maybe that's what we're headed to—a Star Trek future. I also like how in Japanese culture they bow towards each other. And, right. Yeah. And you know, in our gay community, you could bow the other direction and show your ass out if you know you want to like entice the person and get to the point. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like. That's how the gays have been greeting each other (laughs) for generations, no? I really wanted you on the show because I really wanted to talk, um, have a conversation on the show. This show is obviously about our uh, gay sexuality. And when I started the show, I think I called it Talk About Gay Sex and in just those words, it sounds like we're going to be talking about a lot of gay sex. And we do on this show, but the show is now three years old and it ends up being a lot more about our sexuality, which gets a little bit more in depth. Well, I, we couldn't ignore what's going on. Obviously, in the pandemic with my co-hosts, I've talked a lot about how we are quarantining and what all that means for our sexuality. But in recent weeks, obviously, with George Floyd and what's going on and Black Lives Matter. Uh, I wanted to have a little bit more conversation. And somebody that has studied race relations in college, um, even bef- I'm often a little bit nervous, even though I know it's the right thing to do. And even offline, you and I were talking about how we should approach this show. And maybe my first question to you with race, mm-hmm. being a mixed race person and we'll talk a little bit more about your background is we kind of come towards these conversations nervous right like i don't want to say the wrong thing absolutely for sure we don't really know how to approach it i mean even myself i mean i'm still figuring it out this whole uprising really is really shedding a light on all of our behavior And for me, it really comes down to, yes, education and people should be learning how to become anti-racist, reading books and donating to organizations and all of those things. It's a human rights issue. It's really going into your own shadow about racism and race and looking in there and really confronting what that is, everyone on an individual basis. Like that's really the work that I feel needs to be done in order to have, you know, meaningful, long-lasting change. It's we as humans need to change um, our core beliefs about how we think, um, you know, what we feel about equality. What's interesting or fascinating with you is pre 
riot rioting and George Floyd, I'm actually talking about the pandemic. And when we were all quarantining, you and I had talked a lot offline about different projects you're currently working on. And you have been doing a lot of reflecting through, you were actually doing your own reflection about sex and and where you are at and using the time during the pandemic have you personally made sense of that on how you were already doing kind of some of this work pre what's going on with the riots and everything yeah absolutely um fortunately i've been in a space a headspace where i've been able to adapt um to all these changes that are coming and I've kind of been a little bit uh, ahead of the game energetically. And what I mean about that is, you know, I've had my meditation practice for um, the past four years and I've been do already doing a lot of um, inner work and, you know, trying to, you know, heal myself. And once I got into quarantine, that really provided this oasis really for me to uninterrupted really go in. And I've just had a ton of realizations about my own life, which gave me such clarity into how I had been living, you know, the first 40 years of my life and really giving me the opportunity to heal a lot of my deep wounds and trauma that I didn't even realize I had so that I can um, really let go and heal myself from a lot of things from the past and, and really move forward into whatever this new world is going to be, at least with a lot less baggage and at least, or at least tools on how to continue the healing. Cause it's, it's not like just something that happens and you're suddenly healed. It's an ongoing process that you have to constantly practice. Yeah. I, I actually had been going in and doing my own shadow work and race did come up and I had sort of dealt with my own issues around my father prior to this um, sort of uprising. Well, and we should so, talk about how you grew up because you had a black father and a, a white mother. Yes. My parents fell in love and started dating in the late sixties in Ohio, which um, was just a few years after the Jim Crow um era had passed so that's only a few years after that so which is um, segregation and all the laws that were you know implemented to sort of keep people segregated and keep african americans from really restoring and re and and restructuring their lives after they were slaves so my parents started dating you know a few years after that when my mom and my dad started dating you know it was obviously something my mom had to keep a secret once my family found out it was you know you know not a pretty picture you know they forbid my mother to see my father and so there was a lot of that going on a lot of secrets and all very romeo and juliet all very romeo and juliet yeah and and the crazy thing is is my um grandmother may she rest in peace on your mother or father's side on my mother's side she uh found my mom's birth control pills and decided to confiscate them, thinking that my mother would not have sex if she didn't have her birth control pills. <laughs> wow. Uh, so um, there was a Guess gap. she was a little too late. Well, there was a, you know, this, so that created a gap. My mother went and got more birth control pills, but there was the gap, and that's actually when I was conceived. 
So my parents then were um, wanting to get married. And um, then when my mom's um, family found out about the wedding, you know, they were very angry and forbid again, forbid my mother to see my father or said that this, you know, the, the wedding wasn't going to happen, you know, that they were putting an end to it all. And so my um, mom was then sent to the nuns basically to have to, you know, the, the end of her pregnancy. And I was going to be given up for adoption because that's what, you know, good Catholic families did to their bad Catholic daughters who became pregnant before they were married. They sent them away to the nuns and they, the children were given up for adoption. And then, you know, the girls would come back and rejoin society. But there was a little glitch because um, normally when the mother gives birth to the child that they're going to give away, they just take the, the baby uh, away immediately. But there was a, a nurse, I guess, that asked my mom if she wanted to hold me and she did. And then of course she bonded and was like, I cannot give up my child. But I was already in the system. So I was in foster care for the first couple of weeks while my mom had to go through all the red tape to get me back. So then she, uh, what a beautiful story on that part, just because here your mother wanted to go through the process of giving you up, but actually the bond she, she felt for you, she wanted you. Yeah, for sure. And at this point, uh, just real quick, is your dad involved in the process? Uh, They were still, they were still talking when my mom was, uh, with the nuns. And yeah, they were together once my mom had me. And then once she got me back, they were together. They were, you know, young. My mom was 19, just turning 20. My dad was a couple years older than that. And, you know, they had a newborn and it just wasn't working out. So my mom left him when I was about two. And then um, my mom's side of the family, uh, my grandmother specifically, you know, took her, not took her in, but was there for her and supported her and ultimately me. You know, once, you know, once they, my family met me, they were, they all loved me and fell in love with me. But there was still all of this history behind with my father. So then my, my mom and my relationship with my dad uh, was, you know, n- not great. He just was, you know, not really into, I guess, raising a kid. I don't know. But I mean, I would see him every now and then. But it was just sort of like, you know, he was just absent and not really present. And when I was 13, he moved away to Arizona. So and then after that, once that happened, I didn't have really any kind of contact with him at all. So I was basically really raised as as a white kid because I went to all white school systems and we lived in white neighborhoods. So I went to, I was basically raised as a, a white, you know, Italian kid. I, I want to talk a little bit about how, because I think so much happens in our childhood that does, whether it's through shadow work or if you look back on our decision making, particularly as gay men, oftentimes we skipped a lot of true education that we could have had. And I know I've had my own stories of, being called certain names as a brown Mexican kid, Beaner, and and those things had effects on me. Um, and I've seen, you know, I was watching, uh, I forget why I was watching this a while back, an old Inside the Actors studio with Halle Berry. And she was talking about her mother was white and her father was 
black and her father also wanted nothing to do with her and the mom and so essentially her white mother raised her and she said something that was really struck me because she kept not being black enough for the black kids and not being white enough for the white kids and her white mother finally said you need to pick you need to you look more physically black so you should just you should claim your black identity and i think that's going to alleviate or help you along the way and it was crushing as hallie told the story because her father who was black didn't want anything to do with her and her white mother who really raised her and who she loved was really telling her maybe the one way to avoid this is to just claim you are black and i'm just curious can you talk a little bit about how you identified with growing up and, and in terms of how you looked and, and were perceived? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely not perceived um, as black, um, but I went to all white schools and we lived in all white neighborhoods. So I was ever since I can remember, I've always, you know, been aware that I, you know, looked different than everybody else. Something that I realized once all all of the protests and um, this revolution was happening was that, you know, my family, with all good intentions, you know, I, I, I don't think they were doing it intentionally. They were, you know, they have their own um, conditioning and their own beliefs. No one ever talked about, you know, my race. It, I what I got, I always got the sense that it was something that, you know, the family was ashamed of and it was a little bit of an embarrassment and something that always was sort of swept under the rug and was never, you know, really acknowledged. And, um, that kind of dawned on me when all of everything started to, um, you know, shake up. And, um, I realized that myself, did you yeah. want to be white, black? Did you oh think about God, your yeah. identity? I did. I wanted to be white. I mean, because that's all I saw. And I um, didn't have any black mentors. I had no black role models at all. I had no connection to black culture, the black world, um, except for my father, who just couldn't give that to me. And then there were no, you know, no other black kids in my schools or neighborhoods or, uh, you know, I didn't have any connection. And that caused a lot of my own internal shame and my own embarrassment about my background. And for the first, you know, why would it be embarrassing? Though? I'm just, life, I just want to stop you there. Why would it be embarrassing? Because if you said that you didn't look black where do you think as a kid you were feeling that embarrassment? Was there something about you that you just knew well, was, I you were hiding like had, or? Yeah, well, I definitely looked like I had, I definitely looked like I had some flavor in me. I didn't look. <laughs> I love it. Flavor. Yes. <laughs> I didn't look full on white. There was definitely like, oh, what's going on there? But I didn't look black. Do you know what I mean? So that definitely afforded me some white privilege for sure. And my, I know my experience is not the same as someone who is perceived as black. And I understand that fully. Um, but that doesn't mean I didn't experience, you know, my own racism. I, because people didn't know I was black, I, they definitely 
talk disparagingly about black people around me. And, you know, I didn't have the, the tools or the strength or the courage to say anything for a long time. And I, I was running away from that side of myself for a very long time into my 20s. It took me before leaving, it took leaving Ohio and moving out into the real world and seeing diversity and real life and other cultures for me to finally be able to start owning my blackness. And the funny thing is, is once I started owning my blackness, then no one believed me. <laughs> no one, no one believed that I was black. That's another thing. Like I, once I um, accepted myself that you know I was black. Yes, I, my father is black, and I was telling people, not lying about it, because I, I would lie about it in my younger years all the time, because I was just so afraid. But once I started saying my father's black, usually the next question was how black. <laughs> like people always wanted to know how black my father was. So uh, that's something I had to deal with. So I went from denying it to like fighting for it, um, which is kind of funny. It is funny because it reminds me of when, like I was saying earlier, being called darky. I think I said beaner was another word that people called me. And it there weren't a lot of Latinos at all. And I was American born. And I can remember in college similar to at least similar on when I was starting to reclaim my at least why I am brown which had roots in being Mexican although I was born here my sister was doing the same thing in college too and then when I was at times when I have claimed yeah you know I'm Mexican it's like well you don't speak Spanish you're not really Mexican oh you're an Oreo or, or you're not really like like that Mexican of like the people didn't want me. People said I was white. And then I'm like, really? So now I'm white because I wasn't born in Mexico and yeah. people started putting labels and that fucked with my brain a lot too. And was sure. frustrating. Absolutely. And then even as I grew older and um, more confident about my, um, my heritage and then people, when I would tell people I was black, then also they would, it was almost like a compliment or like when they would tell me that I didn't look black, like, Oh wow. You don't, you don't have any black features. Like that was, you know, a good yes. thing. That was a good thing. Oh, so that, yeah, I, I, I exactly a of, know a lot of shit. I, yeah. Recently or sexuality more recently, I've had people, you know, if they see like my dick or something and it's like, you don't have a Mexican dick. Mexican dicks aren't that big. Are you sure you're not Puerto Rican? And uh, actually differentiating the Latino size. that I am based on perceptions that they think that, oh, Puerto Ricans and, and Dominicans have this kind of a dick, but a Mexican has a, doesn't have this. And you're too tall to be a Mexican. Right. You're not Mexican. Are you sure you don't have it? And... These are the conversations I think we need to have because when you start having to prove or really in general, I'm an American and I'm gay or I like men, I like cock and yes, and I have Mexican roots within me, but I think it can be so offensive for somebody to tell me who they think I am based on stereotypes. And I know stereotypes have a place and they're based on some things, but they, they're not across the board. Right. Yeah. I mean, I actually, you know, when this this uprising began, I also had to um, face that I that I've had my own 
unconscious bias against, you know, black people, which I am. Do you know what I mean? Based off you are, of, yes. Based off of, um, you know, my upbringing and things that my cultural conditioning, uh, you know, I even had my own bias that I have to account for, you know, that I didn't even realize I had until all of this. Was there a point ever in your adulthood when you were sexualized for the look that you had? And did you, we can talk about both sides of it, but was there a time, because I know I have, that you used it to your advantage? It's been, it's been sexualized ever, ever since I started having sex, you know? What are you, black Italian? Oh, that's, that's a hot mix, you know? And I'm again, I'm not talking necessarily about blackness, but yeah. I'm specifically talking about like, for example, I'll just give my quick little nutshell story here. Sure. You know, for years and years, it was, oh, Beaner, you're so dark. And there was a point when I wanted to like scrub the, literally scrub the darkness. And I was the darkest out of my family. Um, and then later, I've... When I finally went to college, high school was fine, but literally when I went to college, I started seeing Chicano studies and I started studying race relations and African-American studies. I didn't take English 101. I took Chicano studies 101 where we read uh, Mexican authors. And I really, you know, I marched in a for Berkeley was the first year that I went to where they had Indigenous Peoples Day, where we denounced Columbus Day. And against my father's will, because he was so upset for me, I was in the news marching for Indigenous people because in our mind, and to this day, they still don't celebrate Columbus Day. It's Indigenous Peoples Day. But I had to kind of learn. And then I finally... After that, I started being proud of my Chicano-ness and my Mexican and the color of my skin. And then I started, it was my gayness that led me to photographers wanting to take pictures of me. And I started getting jobs and because I was exoticized. So I used that almost as a fuck you for all the years that I had felt like I was discriminated against for the color of my skin. Now people wanted to put me on the the cover of their magazine. And in a way, and I'm not saying it's healthy and I've had to process all that, but at the time I can remember thinking, yeah, fuck you. I will do this cover. I will dance on your podium. I will take my clothes off for you because now I can use the same people. Now I'm using it to my powerful advantage. Right. Sure. Yeah. I love that. Um, no, I can't say that I've had that experience. But you did work a lot in Broadway and how did you make sense of how you were cast during that period? And did issues of your background or being black come into play at all or, or you were totally fine with how you were portrayed and perceived? No, um, it was definitely, it was definitely difficult. Um, especially when I was like hustling as an actor and, New York, you know, I got disenchanted with theater really because I didn't see myself reflected there. And I was always going up for roles that, you know, a lot of theaters will put on, you know, traditional 
musicals or, you know, they're reviving old things and not necessarily a lot of new stuff. And so a lot of that old stuff is always, you know, white men. And I never felt like I got a, a, a full chance in that sense because, you know, I felt like they were always going to cast this these roles, these traditional roles to, you know, white guys. And then when I started um, auditioning for film and television, a lot of it was Latin and Hispanic. And so that was a real, I had a real issue with that because I, you know, my managers or whatever wanted me to just pretend that I was Latin because that's, I always was perceived more Hispanic or Latin than I was anything else. Right. And um, so I just had to kind of go along with that because there were, they weren't, you know, there was, there was always the Caucasian or the African-American role and then the Latin role. There was not a mixed guy or biracial or an ethnically ambiguous. There is now it's all over, but at that time it just wasn't, it was Latin. And so that was also very discouraging because I, you know, sure to some white person, yeah, maybe I look Hispanic, but if you put me next to Hispanic and Latin people, you, you know, I don't necessarily maybe I resemble them, but you, you know, there's a difference. I'm not Latin. <laughs> right. You know, I'm, I'm not Hispanic. So it's not the same. So well, you play was... a great Spaniard in keep the lights on in a, sorry, Bear in Bear I, City. I Thank you. Spanish guy. Yeah. Yes. And then you also play a Middle Eastern guy in Orange is the New Black. Orange yeah, is the New Black. Eastern. Sure. Yeah. And so some of that I'm sure you have to chalk up to is like, you know, you're fortunate to have a, a look that, can be malleable to different parts, which sure. is an asset. Yeah. Very few times was it ever was there ever a role that just felt like I really fit the character descriptions. You know what I mean? It was yes. always trying to fit like you know a square peg into a round hole. You had to find your own identity on the the side of your black family. And I'm just curious, was there ever like a, a period where you thought, I, I acknowledge my blackness um, and I want to explore that more? I've been acknowledging and proud of my blackness ever since my, my 20s when actually this is kind of a funny story. I was actually when I was dancing uh, in L.A., my early 20s. Singer, dancer, actor, triple threat. <laughs> I was, I don't know, maybe 21 or 22. I was really young. And I had gotten to the point where I was now telling people that my father was Moroccan. So I at least got into the continent of Africa. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I was doing a job with these dancers. And of course, the question of my background come, came up as it always did. And, um, so I, so when someone asked me and I said, oh yeah, my mom is Italian, my dad is Moroccan. And there's another dancer who was there who was also mixed, who looked at me and goes, you're black. And I don't know what it was about that moment, but for some reason, him just kind of calling me out and be like, bitch, like, I don't know what, what story you're trying to tell, but you're black. <laughs> From like, Morocco. Black. Like, 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 you know, come on, sis. Um, so I credit him for sort of like waking me up. And from that moment on, I, I was, uh, I owned who I was and I owned my blackness. You sent me something and one of the, you were talking about in this little excerpt that you sent me of looking for people 
to identify with that maybe were in the media. And I was re-listening to it before we recorded today. And you said, I couldn't find anybody that really looked like me, except in the late 80s, this workout guru guy who had curly hair and was darker complected and had this exercise show. I couldn't help but think of, were you talking about Gil Jankovic, that he had the show called Bodies in Motion? Yes, that's totally him. Okay. I, my sister can attest to, I was obsessed with Gil, Bodies in Motion. I went to Hawaii. I used to do it all the, his, (laughs) I wanted to be on the show. I finally went to Hawaii because I won, I used to work at a radio station. I won this trip to Hawaii to Waikiki, I guess the main area. And I knew that's where he shot. And I, I had like a break and I went searching for, to see if they were filming. Lo and behold, they were filming. And I met up with one of his producers before they were shooting. And I, I begged to be on the show and they put me in one of their How segments. How old were you? I had to be 19 or 20 at this point. Oh my gosh. Wow. Obsessed. I was obsessed <laughs> with him. I wanted to be him. I loved his biceps. I loved the way he, I loved his tights that he wore. And oh when yeah. I, he was so hot. So hot. And so that is who you were talking about. Yes. Yes. That's exactly who I was talking about. <laughs> okay. We got off track a little bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> and really that's that a lot of that is coming together or uh, as I create and write you know and that uh, when i created hustling back in 2011 you know that character that i played you know since it was something that i was going to play myself of course obviously i made him biracial and i the same is true for um uh my new uh my latest project disciple you know i feel like i will always create characters (laughs) that are multiracial or biracial and definitely a reflection of myself because, you know, I just never saw that. It's, it's interesting because I'm not sure I knew that Ryan on your hit web series hustling was that you had written him that way. And maybe I just skipped some references in there, but I love that you did. And I'm just curious how you came to want to write a character that is biracial, but, but you well, yeah, you were, well, because you were, I, was, I was playing him, so I was creating it. So I was definitely going to create something that was molded after my image. I wasn't going to create a role that was not something that I was, that I was going to play. It didn't make any sense. So um, you know, I was molding it to myself. And one of the big storylines of the second season is his mother. Like She's in a bunch of episodes, and she's black. I'm going to rewatch Hustling, actually. <laughs> after like I'm not even kidding. Line. You also wrote a character that was an aging porn star. And we talked about it a little bit on the last time you were on the show. And I know even on your current short film that you're writing and the podcast that you're or whatever it's going to develop into be your other. You have a lot of projects going on that you tend to these days. Your work seems to be about inflecting definitely a lot of you with some really creative storytelling, but it's on the edge and and for a lot of people could be very vulnerable. Is there something about how your career has shifted in the last several years where you're willing to kind of put it all a lot of you out there and 
maybe not worry what people are going to think? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it all goes back. It, it all comes back to this, um, really this spiritual journey that I've been on this, uh, these past four years, all this self-reflection and all this discovery of my own personal power and my own value and my own worth that was missing for so much of my life. Once I discovered that in myself, and actually once I discovered that the, I think my core issue my whole life has been my abandonment issues with my father that I never really thought I had because I was just always like, oh, I'm fine. I get it, whatever. I never really faced that. But um, during this time, once I realized that, fuck, I have abandonment issues, and then I could look at my past and suddenly I had so much clarity and I could see how I had been operating for the you know, past, you know, 40 years. And so much of my pursuits of acting and being famous were all um, motivated from that place of feeling unwanted. And like I was a, a mistake and wanting to prove to, you know, the world and to myself that I mattered. Well, once I began this journey of meditation and going within and discovering, um, you know, my non-physical spiritual you know realm and the connections to all of that and discovering um, on a deep level my value and uh as a human being once i discovered that i i could give that to myself suddenly my desire to get on a tv show has faded and now my desire to um tell stories that help ignite that kind of discovery and other, not only gay people, but, you know, uh, straight people and just as well, but basically discovering that for themselves um, and helping people heal through storytelling is now my biggest motivation. My creative endeavors have purpose, whereas before my motivation was to be famous and to be on a television show. Um, and now my motivation is to share my story because now I realize that my own pain, my pain is the medicine to healing my own trauma and my own wounds. And then I, that has given me a the larger perspective to see that my healing could be helpful to others, um, heal themselves and discover uh, you know, their own value. So now my writing and my work and everything is, uh, my mission really is focused around that purpose. So yes, the long answer to your question is yes, you are correct. It has changed. You've stated before you've had two long-term relationships and I'm not sure if race had anything to do with it. If you just fell in love with these people um i would just if you could just tap into a little bit of your in a nutshell <laughs> all the years of your relationships and where you're looking at um potential n new relationships or sex or or any of that 
Yeah. And that's um, a big question, I know. I, I know you'll do a good job of, because <laughs> you're brilliant at this. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, thank you. You know, both of my relationships were with white guys. Even the my my first uh, long-term relationship, he was also from, or still is, he's also from Ohio, so spent a lot of time with his family. So again, I found myself surrounded by a white family, which was, you know, I would again, always felt um, a little bit like the eccentric, you know, uncle, <laughs> that uncle the brown from, one, but the brown <laughs> from the city, the fabulous one, you know, the edgy, fabulous one. You were recently on my live podcast and or we, you and I were talking about and you reminded me of the amazing book, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and I started rereading it again, and it's all about a shift of consciousness that is coming, is upon us, and I couldn't help but think that we're in it right now, and I guess, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would just, you know, love to hear a little bit about what you're thinking about what's going on right now with all this. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like there's a shift happening. I mean, I was feeling that before um, we had this uprising. Um, we were already um, having major shifts happening globally. And now we're having this shift on racial issues globally. I am inspired by what's happening for sure. I mean, it's a very large movement. It feels like it has a lot of momentum. The energy feels really good around it, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's not a quick fix. You know, this is the very first step to any sort of healing is first acknowledging that there's a problem. Awareness is first. I mean, so we're literally just in that phase. We're just in, as far as the the, the racial um, element of this huge shift goes. We're just in the very beginning of that. The awareness of people being aware that we have a problem. There's a, there are a lot of things that are happening now with like policies and um, restructuring of things, which I think is all amazing and great. But again, I take it back to one of the first things I mentioned was that in order for real, I think, long-lasting change to take place, it's about the individuals on this planet sort of um, going within and doing a lot of, of work on themselves to sort of restructure their own belief system because we, you know, the systemic racism is, is a real thing and it's a fundamental issue that people have in their belief structures. So reading uh, books and watching documentaries are going to help you understand the history and maybe get a sense of of the pain that you know the black community has endured over all these years but it's about each person you know being accountable for their own Sebastian Lacaz I want to thank you so much for really taking the time and opening up about this conversation that I think is an ongoing conversation that we all need to have in general and really thank you so much sure I, I love it i i'm always um or i always love being on your show and um 
yeah, I'm happy to come back anytime. Follow him at lacause underscore I am. I'll list it on tagspodcast.com. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for listening to my conversation with Sebastian Lacaz. I will put links up to where you can follow him at tagspodcast.com. Uh, I will be doing an after show for those that are want to consider becoming a subscriber to the show to Tags Podcast. You, there are different tiers you can become a subscriber to. And one of the perks is my dark and dirty after show. And you can go to patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex. Also, don't forget to join me live every Thursday on our Facebook page. It's 7 o'clock Pacific time, 10 o'clock Eastern time. Facebook.com forward slash tags podcast. It's Sex with Stevie. It's a call-in show. It's a lot of fun with some extra special sexy guests. I hope to see you there. And in the meantime, keep being sexy and stay healthy. I will see you and talk to you soon.